today we come to the end of our series on relationships. Doesn't mean we're never going to talk about relationships again at Hope Chapel, which we, we will. But today we come to the series, to the end of our series about relationships. We started way back on the first Sunday in October talking about relationships. How to, if you will, minimize the mess and maximize the blessing, right? And that's just kind of intuitively gets at the fact that our relationships can be hard. And we, we've had, at least I've, I've really enjoyed this journey as we've had a chance to look at the fact that God scripted into us as being a part of his image, a need for relationships. And a part of our connection to Christ means that God has given us the capacity for great relationships. And we've looked about how to deal with difficult people in our lives and some of the kind of the special relationships that we have, like how to have great marriages and have great families and et cetera. And as we come to the end of this series, I really want to kind of just hammer at a very simple point, right? Because I think the temptation for us is to say, you know what? Relationships are really hard for me. They're my relationships. And so I'm going to do what I want. And what I want you to know is that your relationships are not about you. They are about God. The way that you relate to people is about the glory of God. Your relationships really aren't about you. Now, God wants to use them as a blessing in your life, but God really has a different plan for the relationship of his children. For the relationships that we have, God wants to use them to prove that he has changed us through our relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And through our relationships, he wants to display his glory and redeem the world. Your relationships are really not about you. Your relationships are about God. Anybody feeling just a little bit weighted down right now? So let's look at some passages. I want to start with, a, with an experience that we've already looked at in our series. But I want to come back and look at it through a different lens. And this comes from the Gospel of John. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to the Gospel of John with me. If you're watching on Facebook, you're stuck. You'll have to just find it on your own. But for the rest of us, uh, you can find it in your pew Bible, the chair that the Bible is underneath your seat. This is on page 915. And um, i going to stop doing that. There we go. And um, so we've looked at this experience already in this journey. And I want to look at verses 34 and 35 of John chapter 13. Some of you have been hanging around the church a lot, a long time. You know that when it was in red letters, it means Jesus is talking, right? So that, many of you have red letter edition Bibles. The words we're going to look at are come directly out of the mouth of Jesus. You're also going to know that out of the context that we're looking at it, that this is, this is one of the key moments in the life of Jesus, so much so that John dedicates almost an entire third of his book to literally the last 24 hours of the life of Jesus, a lot of that spent with his disciples in the upper room. And as Jesus is gathered there with his disciples, he says this to them, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, of all the disciples, this command of Jesus captivated the Apostle John. 
And he was the last of the 11 that were still in the upper room at that point. He was the last of the 11 still breathing when all the rest of them had already died or been martyred. So he had the longest time to think about what this really meant. And you, and you think about all the things that happened in the upper room that night, all the things that John could have fixated on, and he fixated on this command. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. But you think about it. You know, First of all, you had the Lord's Supper experience. And John could have fixed it. He didn't even tell us about it. You have the foot washing experience. He tells us about that and, and that kind of thing. But he, you, don't, you don't see that carried on in his other writings. You have the whole, his, all the statements about his glorification and the betrayal and etc. If you read just a little bit earlier in our text, you know, when, when Jesus makes a statement to all 12 of them, he says, you know, tonight one of you is going to betray me. And John, who seemed to have been the, the most intimate of the disciples with Jesus. You know, you clearly see that Jesus kind of had like an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Right, But out of those, John seemed to have the most unique or special or closest relationship with Jesus. He referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we see that he entrusted Mary to John when he was on the cross. And we also see that John, during the Lord's Supper, during the the Passover celebration, he is the one who's leaning and sitting closest to Jesus. So when he says, you know, one of you is going to betray me, Peter's like, hey, John, 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 ask him who it is. <laughs> and John's the one who's sitting next to him, and he leans over, and he says, who is it? Hey, Jesus, who is it? And Jesus said, it's the one that I'm going to give this piece of bread to as I dip it in the sauce, and he hands it to Judas. And, and there's, there's so many things going on in the upper room that John could have fixated on. But you know what he fixated on? You know what made him think for a lifetime was this command. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. You know, John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. So, those are, so he, he, he's a significant contributor to the New Testament. We have other significant contributors. Matthew wrote the, first, the Gospel that we have at the beginning of our New Testament, right? There were other guys in that room that night, Peter, for example, who wrote, Jude, who was in that room, that wrote. We also have the fact that Peter kind of poured himself into Mark, (laughs) and Mark wrote the gospel of Mark that we have. But you know, in this particular case, the word that we find at the beginning of verse 33, some of your translations have the word children, some of you have the word little children. This exact word, the only other place it's found in in the Bible is in the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So with all, there's other words for children that go along, but, but as John, just, he just kept replaying this statement. He says, children, I am with you just a little while longer. You look for me, and just as I told the Jews where I'm going, you can't come, so now I tell you. But, and then it says, I give you a new command. That phrase, new command, the only other place that you find it in the New Testament is in the letters of John. With all the other guys there, and with as significant as this is, the only one, so that's because these words captivated the heart and the mind of John. And what John kept playing on, why is love so important? How does it work? And he's wrestling with it, all of it. And the conclusion that he drew, that he lays out for us in so many different ways, is that our relationships are really not about ourselves. They are about the glory of God. Our relationships are designed 
to bring glory to God, communicate his mission, and show that we are his disciples. So let's look at a couple things together. I, I, I just want to make three different points to you this morning. Got a couple sub points with one of them, but, but three different points. And here's the first thing, and, and I don't think we appreciate this. When it comes to having a relationship with Jesus, faith and love of other people are inseparably entwined. You cannot believe in Jesus and not love other people. And you just can't. Because faith in Jesus and love of other people are inseparably entwined. You cannot disconnect them. The call to follow Jesus Using Matthew's terms, you know, what Jesus says, Jesus is saying, come follow me, you know, come follow me. Embedded in that call to follow is a call to love other people. And you can't avoid it. And that's, and, and let's look at a couple of scriptures. We're, we're going to bop around a lot in 1 John. So I'd love for you to turn over to 1 John with me. And if you're using um, one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find 1 John beginning on page 1034. And let me start with the, the key verse, and then I'll read some other verses just to kind of back this up a little bit. That faith in Christ, the acknowledgement that we need a Savior, and, the, and John's the advocate of that, right? It's, it's from John that we get the words out of Jesus' mouth to Nicodemus, you must be born again. John is about conversion. You know, we get John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his, ever, his only begotten son so that whoever believes, right, whoever chooses. John is all about faith. He's all about conversion. He's all about the need for every single individual on the planet to acknowledge that they need a Savior and make a personal, specific, intentional choice to invite Christ into their lives. John's all about that. But for John, that decision also meant that you were saying yes to loving other people. Look at, look at John chapter 3, and I want to look at verse 23. And I just want to point out a single word in this verse to you and just let you kind of run with it in your own mind. So this is John, 1 John chapter 3. He says, now this is his command. God is speaking now through John, saying to us, now this is his command. His refers to Jesus, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. And the one word I want to point out to you is the word and. Right? Not or. It's not any other word. It's and. His command to us was to believe and to love. Loving other people is inseparably entwined with being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why when you and I love other people, we prove that we are the followers of Christ. When we don't love other people, we show that we really are not the followers of Christ. Just a whole bunch of verses, and I'm just going to trick, trickle these off really quickly to you as we go through all of these because there's a number of verses that I want you to see. And, and if you're using your own, pub, your own Bible, you may want to just circle these references or whatever. But all of these are from 1 John, right? So this is God's command, that you believe in his son and that you love other people, just as he commanded us. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. Chapter 2, 
verses 9 and 10. I'm going to rip through just a few really quickly. The one who says he's in the light means that I'm a follower of Christ, but hates his brother is actually in the darkness until now. You've proven that you are not a follower of Christ. The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Faith and love of the brethren are inseparably entwined. Another verse, John chapter 3, verses 9, 10, and then 14. This is how God's children, and conversely the devil's children, are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. So at the top of the heap of disobeying God is not loving our brothers in Christ. Your relationships are not about you. They're about God. All right. Verse 14. We know that we've passed from death to life. This is how God confirms in us that we have been changed and born again by, through faith in Jesus Christ because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Faith in Christ and love of the brother in is inseparably entwined. They go hand in hand. One more reference. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Just right across the page from where you were. Dear friends, let's love one another. Because love is from God, and everyone who, has, who loves has been born of God, and he knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Faith in Christ and love of other people are inseparably entwined. So your, your relationships really aren't about you. They are about God and God working in you and proving that he is in you and God changing you and et cetera. All right. So got that point down? I got to cut down on my coffee before I preach. I just get a little too kind of wound up. Second point. The kind of love that Jesus is calling us to the kind of love that is inseparably entwined with having a personal faith in Jesus Christ is a radical new love. It's not just kind of like a worldly kindness that we slap a little Christianity on top of and then it passes for that kind of love. You know, the kind of love where Jesus said, you know what, if you, you, know, if you, if you love those who are close to you and a part of your family and those who are nice to you and help you and that kind of stuff, I mean, what, what, what good is that? He says, even, even, even the street gangs do that, Right? Even a street gang, that doesn't prove nothing. <laughs> he said, but the kind of love that he calls us to is radically new. And it's all in a simple phrase. I'm challenging you. I'm calling you to love one another as I have loved you. Changes the whole game. It's not like looking down the street and seeing how the Joneses are doing and saying, you know what, I'll do, they got a 95, I'll get a 98. That's not what we're talking about, right? He's saying if, if what you need to do is you need to have a love for one another that's just like the love that I've had for you. And, and I don't want to stand up here and pontificate on all of what that means. But let me just kind of give you some things. Because I think sometimes we think, you know, well, I'm nice to 
people and that kind of stuff and, you know, and that kind of thing. My neighbors don't throw rocks at me when I go out to get the paper in the morning or whatever. I'm a pretty good person, you know. And, and, and Jesus said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He says, you know what, the way that the world is going to know that you are my disciples, the way the world is going to know that I actually was the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was resurrected, and now at the Father, and I'm pouring myself into you. The way they're going to know that is that is by the way you love one another. And the only way that's going to happen is if you love one another the way that I have loved you. So our relationships are not about ourselves. They're about the glory of God, right? They're about, they're about God proving who he is through the way that we love. Just, just a couple of points related to this, maybe to kind of a, maybe expand our horizons, get us to challenge ourselves to be more sacrificial in our love. The, the, the ways that this love is, is radical is, is it's in its scope, right? It, it's, it's not just limited to the people that we like or the people who are like us or the people who are nice to us or the people that we want to be nice to who can help us. Or it's not limited to those things. The scope of our love is to include those who are our enemies. We're supposed to pray for our enemies, love those who persecute us, those who are seeking to harm us. You know, it, it's the, one of the most well-known stories in the Bible is a story that Jesus told in the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Many of you know it, right? And Jesus is having this interchange with a religious leader and, you know, what? And so the religious say, you know, hey, you know what? You, you're, you're setting yourself up to be somebody who can tell people how to get to God. He said, so what does it really take to get to heaven, right? And, and, and so Jesus said, well, well, what do you think? And the guy says, well, you know, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, yeah, you're on target. <laughs> the guy said, well, you know, who's my neighbor? So then Jesus tells a story, a story that we know is the story of the Good Samaritan. Grabbed a picture out of everyday life. Guy is leaving Jerusalem, and he's traveling down to Jericho. He's traveling to the east, down to the Jordan River Valley, probably looking to go around and go north up to, to the Galilean area. And as he's coming down, this narrow way, it goes through a lot of blind places where nobody else can see, and this guy gets pounced on by robbers, beaten up, stripped, left for dead. And in Jesus' story, three different people come by. Two of them are religious leaders, rabbis, Levites, that kind of stuff. And as they come up, they see the guy, and, and, and it says they crossed to the other side, and they went on. They said, I, I, you know, he's not my friend. <laughs> he's not my neighbor, right? And, and, and there's, they have legitimate concerns. This could be a trap. This could be a trap. This guy is just laying out here looking like this, crying out, whimpering for help, because what they want to do, as soon as I bend over to help them, they're going to all jump me, and they're going to take all my stuff. So I'm being wise to stay away from people in need and just mind my own business and keep going. Sounds like our generation, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not that old. My wife tells me I got to keep stop saying that I'm old because those of you who are older than me feel even worse when I say that. So I got to stop saying that. So in my pastoral compassion, I'm going to not call myself old anymore, but I'm slightly advanced in years. But I can even remember when I was a kid, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal to pull over and help somebody when they had a flat tire. You, you got, do we do that anymore? 
What we do is we picked up a phone and we dialed 911 and say, hey, there's a person with a flat tire on the side of the road. You know, or we call AAA and say, hey, can you help? We, we, don't, you know, we, we don't do it because it's dangerous, right? These guys, whoosh, the other way. I, or I won't be able to do what God's called me to do in the temple or whatever. And along comes the Samaritan. Jews hated the Samaritans. They were considered to be half-breeds, people outside. They were pretenders when it came to God, right? And they're thinking, all right, he's come, and this guy is going to finish him off. He's going to kill the guy on the side of the road. That's, that's, what the reader, that's what the listeners are hearing, right? Here comes the guy, and this is the villain. He's going to put the guy out of his misery by killing him. And he bends over, and he cares for him, and he nurses his wound. He carries him to an inn, leaves him there, pays for his care. And, and, and then... And then Jesus turns and he looks at the disciple, at, at the inquirer who's asking about eternal life. And he, and he says to him, he said, now, who do you think really proved to be the friend, the neighbor in this story? He said, well, the guy who showed mercy to go and do likewise. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you have a faith that qualifies you because of who Christ is and the merit that he's poured into you, if you want to be a person who's destined for heaven, you've got to embrace this love that God's given you to care for the people around you who are needy and need mercy. It's an incredible scope. It's an incredible scope. You know, there's also a great magnitude to this, right? You know, Jesus said in John, and just a couple chapters later, you know, still the upper, uh, uh, still the upper room last hours of his life, and he looks at his disciples, he said, you know what, you're going to have no greater love for one another than to lay down your life for them. You know, and, and, and that's an incredible magnitude. It's not just like, well, you know, up to 1% of my budget or this or that, or, you know, I'll give you two hours a week or whatever. So all the way up to the sacrificial kind of love where you give your life away. You know, um, I read a story this week about uh, an experience during World War II where a a group of Scottish soldiers had been imprisoned and were a POW camp at the hands of the Japanese. And they were being forced to do labor every single day. And so they were returning to camp one night after working on a road, and they came through several checkpoints where they they counted the tools that they had given to to the prisoners. And they came up one shovel short. And so the guy who had control of the the group said, you know what, Um, if the person who stole the shovel doesn't step forward, I'm going to kill all of you. And they were all, I mean, everything the Japanese had done to them at that point proved that they had the capacity to do that. And so one guy stepped up, and immediately he was executed. They kept their journey, and they came to the second checkpoint. And they counted through, and they found that they had all the shovels. They had just miscounted earlier. And so this guy standing in that line says, if I don't step forward, even though I didn't do anything, they're all going to die. And it's interesting, as they tell the story, that they said that the, the, the Scottish shoulders had become so demoralized that they were basically acting like animals, even towards one another. And they said after that event, the way they, they, they behaved totally transformed, even to the point that when they were liberated at the end of the war, they extended grace and mercy to their Japanese captors. The magnitude of the love that we're called to was just off the charts, right? And and then the duration of it, you know, that just, you know, we don't have time to go into, just just write down 1 Corinthians 13.8. 
You know where it says, love bears all things, hopes all things, it believes all things. Love just never ends. Just never ends. We never reach a moment in our journey where we can simply say, I no longer have to love people anymore. They've driven me crazy, <laughs> right? I've already given so much, whatever we get, to, you know, that's it, I'm done. And God's going to pat us on the back and say, yeah, good job. Yeah. It never happens because the duration of that love is just off the charts. Faith and love of other people are inseparably intertwined. And the kind of love that God calls us to is a part of that faith love experience is radically new. The, the last point I would really want to make is that God wants to use those relationships, the way that we love within them, to extend his kingdom. Your relationships ultimately are missional. They are the way that God extends his kingdom on the planet. It's not, it's not fancy church buildings or all kinds of techniques, you know, with with this and that or whatever, you know, it's, 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 it's none of that kind of stuff. It's, you know, the business practices that are going on to get us into various mission fields. All those things are wonderful things. But the thing that extends the kingdom in the world is the way you and I love other people as a part of our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and you could take that word and in First John 3.23. This is his command that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and love others as he has commanded. You could, take, you could draw a long line through all the pages all the way over to Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And so therefore I want you to let your light shine before men that they may, they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Our, our relationships, and, and notice it doesn't say that we, we, we just take the light and we can kind of give it away a little bit here and there. He says we are in the light. And I could go back and process some of those verses out of 1 John that we read, the various references given, you know, out of darkness into light. And so he says you are the light. In Jesus Christ, we actually become a part of the way that we God reaches the world. We are inseparably connected to that. We are indispensable to that journey of extending the kingdom in the world. And the way that he does that is because people see the life that flows from it in our good works. Because we love people. You know, and, and the cool thing about all of this, and this is just a little aside, is that you know, we're looking at, boy, this is a lot of stuff, and I, got, I don't really like that person. How am I going to lie? You know, all of a sudden, God, God is looking to just bless us out of our minds with great relationships as we learn how to love that way. Our relationships, the proof positive of who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he's done in us, and the way that he can change the world is in the way that you and I love one another. So I, I just got to kind of quick concluding question for us. When you think about your relationships, who knows Jesus because of the way you love people? Who, who, who knows that Jesus is real, that he can change the world because of the way that you love people? 
And it may be a more appropriate question because we really can't go back and change our past, but in God's grace, we can let him change our futures. Maybe the more appropriate question is, who's going to know by the way you love people? Who's going to know by the way that you love people? You know, and again, just a little aside. I'm not trying to, this, this the big call, the climax to our series, all these kinds of things. But, you, you, you know, it can just invest. A, we think about the most difficult people in our lives, the people who have caused us the most pain, the enemies, the ones. And we think, you know what? There, there is a purpose. There is an eternal purpose for me putting up with all of this and being loving. I mean, it just changed. Who knows? Who knows? Because of the way that you love. God wants the world to know because of the way we love. Let's embrace that challenge and receive the gift of great relationships. Let's pray together. And just our quiet moment here at the end. It's faith in Christ and love of the brethren. Some of us here today are struggling to love the brethren, even though we have faith in Christ. Some of us are just working on loving the brethren, but we really don't have faith in Christ. It's my privilege to extend to you today, in the name of Jesus, the opportunity to be born again, to use the words of Jesus, to believe in the Son of God, to be forgiven, to be changed, to become a child of God, one whom God lavishes his love on, and as a part of that, love other people. If you've never taken the step of faith, I invite you to do so this morning. A step, a call to follow after Christ that has embedded in it a love of the brethren. And you could say a prayer just, this, just simply as this. Father, I, 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 I accept that Jesus is God's son. I know he died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And God, I invite him into my life through faith. Maybe not even fully understanding what that's all going to mean, but I choose to believe in Jesus as my Savior. And with that, I accept a responsibility being the light of the world. God, I pray that we as your little children, as Hope Chapel, would be the light of the world. And they'd see that light through the way we love others. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.